Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Constance Scharf. She's an internationally recognized speaker and author on the topics of addiction, recovery, and mental health. We talked about her journey. She shared how she overcame trauma and addiction at the age of 12 until her early 20s. She shared how she's lucky to be alive and how she's using her experience to help others. It was a really amazing interview and something I think so many of us can get a lot out of. And I just want to remind you that the Move Your Mind book is now available globally. You can find all of the links at nickbrax.com. And our Move Your Mind community program is also available. All you have to do is go to moveyourmind.me to find all of the links. I really hope you enjoy the episode and thanks so much for joining us today for Move Your Mind. Constance, so nice to meet you and thank you for making the time on a Monday morning. We're both in the United States at the moment, both talking before how you're moving to Melbourne where I'm from. I'm going back there next week. So that fingers crossed. That's the, that's the goal. Fingers crossed. Yes. I'm uh, fingers crossed for you, but um, yeah, great to, great to connect with you. Yes. I'm excited. Yeah, and I appreciate you making the time. And I had had a read up and actually found out about you through um, a friend had recommended you and heard heard you or heard about your work. And um, I mean, with Move Your Mind, we're looking to talk to so many different people in areas of mental health and especially trauma is the thing we're touching on at the moment. Okay. Um, more and more and saw that you do a lot of work in that area as well. Yes. So, um, yeah, super interested to just learn about you. So um, I'd love it if you could just give us a quick, background on yourself and you know the work that you do so i came to the world of addiction and trauma treatment trauma research really because i suffered from it myself i started drinking at the age of 11. um i drank uh through until i was 22 23 years old I went to a 12-step program and what happened was i wasn't immediately able to get sober because I was drinking two liters of hard liquor a day. I mean, I'm, I'm a real alcoholic. I, I, when I oh, drink, wow. I drink a lot. Um, and that was sort of the starting pl- point was two liters. So, so, so this is, and this was sort of between the age of 11 and 23, you're saying? Yeah. Well, I did obviously didn't start out drinking two liters a day, but at the end, yeah, that's what I was drinking. And, and at, at 22, 23 years old, I was dying. You could see my liver and kidneys swollen through, uh, through my skin, and, and I did not have long to live. In fact, when I graduated from college, I graduated with a whole bunch of honors from a very lovely university um, in, in New York State. And um, when I walked across the stage, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm unemployed. I need to do something about that. And I thought, well, I really don't because I knew the way I drank, I did not have that long to live. So I just traveled for a year um, waiting to die, really. Um, wow. So, but I, what happened was when I got sober, when I stopped drinking, the trauma symptoms would really come up and really exacerbate 
because I was using the alcohol to tamp them down. Now, keep in mind, I'm a little bit older. I'll be 50 at the end of this year. And so back then, heroin and other opioids were not available in the country. I grew up in the country. And so if I was having the same issues now, I'd be dead because I, I would have overdosed by now. But because I was using alcohol, I had a longer period to get sober. So what the trauma symptoms would come up and I couldn't deal with that and I would start drinking again. Eventually, I was able to get sober, but I was miserable. I was overwhelmed with trauma symptoms. I was suicidal very often. And what changed for me is I started seeing uh, our veterans coming back from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And I was in graduate school studying something else. And they were not able to get sober. And we have a tremendous suicide rate with our veterans right now. 22 at least a day are dying uh, by suicide. We've actually lost more to suicide than we did to combat. So I'm watching these people come into the 12-step program that I'm in. They're not able to get sober. They're killing themselves. And I thought, you know, I'm sober and miserable. I was sober, I don't know, eight years or something at that point. I'll be 24 years sober next month. So, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm sober and miserable. They're not able to get sober. They're killing themselves. And I was like, this is unacceptable. There has to be better treatment. And I'm going to find out what it is. So I changed everything that I was doing in graduate school. And this has become my passion. What is it that we can do to help people at the intersection of addiction and trauma? I work with other issues as well, but that's really where I work is at the intersection of addiction and trauma. And how do we get people sober and keep them sober and get them not only just like gritting it through, but having really amazing full lives. And it is possible. It is possible. And where I've grown from that is I've traveled all over the world working with incredible researchers, doing all sorts of work with amazing complementary therapies. And one of the things that I've found is that we all see the world in different ways. And in order for people to get sober, we really have to bring in different worldviews. You know, here in the United States, very few Native Americans, indigenous people, very few of them go to traditional therapy. And more than half, just over half of those who go to that kind of therapy, to talk therapy, drop out after the first session because it's not culturally appropriate or relevant. And they're talking to someone that doesn't understand their, their experience. So we have to make these therapies and offer therapies that are culturally appropriate, affordable, and accessible to everyone who needs them. To me, that's a human rights issue. That's a justice issue. Thank you so much for supporting Move Your Mind. We're expanding the offerings of the organization and we're tailoring everything we do to suit you guys and to try and answer to all of your needs and the questions that you send in. The book is available globally. You can find all of the links at nickbrax.com book. And we've just released the Move Your Mind community. We've currently got a men's community group, a women's community group, a general group. We're going to be loading up other groups. And you can find all of the links at moveyourmind.me. 
this group's been created based on the needs of what we've heard and learnt throughout Running Move Your Mind. And we have live events, we've got courses, we've got huge amounts of value, the ability to share information, share ideas, work in groups together to, to grow and share your learnings, to learn about different topics. You get email reminders. There's a whole lot of features in there. We're constantly updating it, and we're so excited to share it with you. You can find all of the information about it at moveyourmind.me. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more on that, and it, it, it really is because it's a, like you're saying, it, it can be a life or death thing. And there's so many people that are going through these different issues that just don't, or, or even, even if, you know, you're talking about talk therapy and things like that, even if that was um, helpful to someone, often it's just not affordable for most people to do it to the degree you need to do it. And that's what I've witnessed in, um, I mean, I've been through therapy a lot myself and I've been involved in mental health for a long time on my own journey, but it is so difficult to find the right person to look at. To what your needs and often they don't have the understanding or you'll go through a laundry list of people and you're like well i can't this is crazy this is actually making me actually spiral even more because it's just such an ordeal and so stressful to try and find it i feel like i'm further back and now i don't know what to do i may as well just give up like it can really make you feel that a hundred percent and one of the things we're learning so i've had that experience too i went to a very well-known trauma therapist in my area um, my local, my local area. And, uh, I said to her, I don't say Kaddish for my father's yard site, which if you're not Jewish, that is a bunch of gibberish, yeah. you know, it just is. And yeah. I proceeded for the rest of the session to explain what's a yard site, what's a Kaddish, why is this important? Blah, 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 blah. And I left and I was like, I'm not going back. It's not my responsibility to educate my therapist, it is the responsibility of people like me who are involved in mental health to train a wide range of therapists mm -hmm. who have a wide range of experiences and backgrounds to be able to provide services to those people. Indeed, I was at a, a presentation in Cairo and it was during the mass exodus of refugees from Syria. And I begged them, I said, please, because it's filled with with people from different Arab state Arab states and uh, or 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 Arabic speaking nations from the Middle East. And I, I said, please, you've got to send therapists who speak Arabic. And they were like, We're not. And they explained why. And I was like, there's no hope. Because if you come out of Syria, you know, and you come into Germany, for example, I'm just using that as an example, and you don't have therapists who understand war firsthand, you don't have a therapist who understands your cultural background, you don't have a therapist who speaks your language, you don't have a therapist of your religion, where is there to build rapport and, and have good relations? The other thing that we've really learned is that for trauma specifically, Talk, talk therapy isn't that helpful on the whole. People who have severe trauma tend to be dissociated, disconnected from their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so when you're that level of disconnected from your feelings, talking about the issue doesn't help. 
So for me, I could tell you all, you know, what happened and when it happened and all the things over and over and over again. But I was so disconnected from those feelings. The therapist would weep. And I'd be like, yeah, well, okay, could we do something useful here? Yeah. I actually, early in my 20s, I would stop think, seeing therapists. If you cried if, as the therapist, I'm out. You hmm. cry in your own time. Right? I mean, I was that disconnected. So what we're really learning is that somatic therapies, that that trauma, and, and you learn this in, you know, the body keeps the score, um, what happened to you, Dr. Perry, Dr. Perry's most recent work with interview with Oprah. And, you know, in, in those books and in other research, we, we really learn that trauma is stored in the body. And that it needs to be cleared from the body. And the way you do that is with somatics. Now, in the United States, somatics is not covered by uh, insurance. So you're talking about having to pay out of pocket. Now, I did, I think it's about three years ago, three and a half years ago now, find someone who specializes in somatics. It has absolutely changed my life. I moved out to the country before I found this, so that I just wouldn't be around a lot of people, could write my books in peace, go to, you know, some, whatever conference I had to go to, come back, and not really interact with people that much, because the trauma was just overwhelming, and since I've had that, I have no trauma symptoms anymore, none, Wow. none, I would wake up screaming almost every morning, and, and now this is, a, this is after a lifetime of this, a lifetime of this. And I did somatics. And what makes me thrilled is that we have a therapy that we know that works. Wow. What guts me is that in this country, it is accessible only to the wealthy. I could afford it because my therapist gives me a, a deep discount Mm-hmm. which she can't do for everyone, but she does, thank God for me. And because when my grandparents died, I was gifted enough money to buy a house, so I don't have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. I don't pay rent. I don't have a mortgage. That's how it became affordable for me. That is not everyone's story. Yeah. And that is what I advocate, you know, why I advocate for me- for mental health issues, because th- that should not be true. I should not be the exception to the rule because I happened to, to be in a situation where I don't have to pay a mortgage because it costs exactly. that much. It costs that much. So, and what, 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 what does somatics involve that you're talking about? What? So somatics, and there are many different kinds. I do something called radical aliveness. But what the theory is, is that trauma is actually stored in the body. Mm-hmm. If you take it out of the Western context, in shamanism, it's called, in traditional healing, it's called shaking medicine. So if you see a bird, for example, that was just attacked by a cat but got away, it will go under the nearest bush or go into a tree or whatever, puff out its feathers and tremble, shakes. 
that releases that trauma so it doesn't carry the trauma literally in its body with it. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that with all sorts of, of things. You'll see it if a dog is scared, they shake. They shake, they tremble. And this is a way of processing this. And so somatics, sometimes they're shaking. There's some very good, uh, there's something called TRE, um, trauma release exercises that are used um, actually in, in the Middle East, in, in, in Israel and uh, the Palestinian territories to help. And it actually is getting that shaking mechanism going. The type that I do is, isn't, necessarily shaking but it gets those emotions essentially out of the body so they're they're not stored there i literally just am unhooked from the past trauma is essentially being hooked into the past you're not in the present right i feel like you know i feel like someone who's dead is touching is touching me well they can't be touching me they're dead but i i literally feel them touching me and so I'm hooked into the past. What somatics does is it unhooks us from that. And there are a lot of ways to access it, but that's the, the theory, is that, that your emotions are stored in your body and you want to process them to be free from them. Yeah, and so it's different movements that you would be doing sort of on a daily basis or there's a whole range of... There's a whole range of different types of things, and yeah. it can um, it can be something like movements that you do on your own, which is something mm -hmm. that TRE is. Um, what I do is actually with a practitioner, and they help because for me, and this is my experience, not everyone's, but I have such a hard time identifying what my emotions are. I just tend to breeze past them. And so I have a practitioner who helps me says, whoa, 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 hold up. You're feeling something now. Let's move into that and let it move through. And it could be, you know, taking a tennis racket and hitting, you know, a pillow, mm -hmm. right? That is something that does not work for me, but works for a lot of other people. It can be screaming. It can be automatic movement. It can be dancing. You know, we, we try to get people, uh, one of the things in radical aliveness is they'll get people, you know, just moving and dancing and whatever, and then something will come out of that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, unbelievable. Like your story is incredible. And the fact that you know, what you've been through and coming out the other end and the fact that you survived it even is just amazing. And well, it is. It is. And I want to say that is to, you know, to anyone who has survived, you know, I come from extreme uh, childhood uh, sexual abuse and, and for a long period, yeah. so bad that I don't have memory of three years of my life. Wow. I mean, I have like a vague thing here and a vague thing there uh, that have not, like, have like, you know, like I remember uh, we made uh, in fourth grade, we made a replica of one of the California missions, the Spanish missions that are built uh, throughout California. We made a replica out of sugar cubes. And I have a, a just a very vague memory of enjoying that. 
And that's kind of it <laughs> for the year, you know, like, it's like, okay, oh kind of like that, you know, whereas I have memories before the age of seven, very distinct, and I have memories after the age of 10. And you just so, literally can't access those, that period, you can't access it. No, it's gone. It's gone. Wow. And, you know, I've had therapists who said, well, would you like to try to recover? And I was like, why? It's just going to be horrors. Yeah. And now that I'm not having the symptoms, there's no, for, to me, there's no need to mine that, to excavate that. But people like me usually become overdoses or suicides. That is the normal outcome. We don't become internationally recognized PhDs advocating for mental health. That is not the norm. But it's possible. And this is why treatment is so important. If, if I had had treatment earlier, now we just didn't know. Back when I was, you know, 25 years ago when I was, when I was first trying to get sober, we didn't have this information. Mm-hmm. But imagine if I had had treatment then and was free of, of this. I mean, I've done great. What could I have done with that? Oh, you know? know. Um, you'd be president by now probably. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the desire. See, no, this is my with, opinion. With, but but with, the, with the path, you know, with what you've done. Right. So, yeah. well, people, but the problem is the people who, who, who really should have the job prob- probably don't want it. You know, totally but yes. agree. That, that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. I just had to get that in. But yes, I, I could have been the CEO of a company if, if that's what I wanted. What I think is beautiful about this path for me, and I don't, I do not see it as you know making lemonade out of lemons, is yeah. that because of my recovery, I now have insight and ability to help people who would not get helped otherwise. And I also, because of just the privileges that I've had, am in a position to hold open the door for other people and say, Mm -hmm. come on through. Those people who are marginalized and don't have a voice, don't have a place yet in the conversation, because I think about that for myself, you know, as an unmarried woman, thank God I live where I live in this, in this time period. I mean, I think about, uh, you know, the movie, the green mile with Tom Hanks. I love that film. Yeah. It's a wonderful film, but I think about the scene where the warden's wife is being, Uh, has been diagnosed with brain cancer and I think it's brain cancer and she's sitting on a table sort of in the dark on the other side of the room while the doctor is telling her husband what's wrong with her and later on he says to the warden says to Tom Hanks I don't know how to tell my wife she has cancer she doesn't have any say in her treatment she doesn't have any say in her diagnosis she couldn't leave you know she couldn't you know, live on her own. She wouldn't have access to, to work and credit cards and all those things. Yeah. I have access, despite all that I've been through, I have access to all of that. And so it is very important to me to hold open that door and say, 
hey, there's other voices, other researchers who have important information if we're going to really help people. Yeah. Really help yeah. people who don't just look like me. There's so many, well, there's just so many people that need their help, like what you're saying. But um, no, it's fascinating. I mean, there's so many parts to this story that are just fascinating and such a important topic. And I mean, so many things to delve into, but even just the fact that, you know, I think it's a bigger achievement than 99.9% .9 of people that you simply just survived this whole thing, let alone have gone on to do what you've done, because that's so much to go through. And it's, it's unbelievable that you, and even what you're saying before that, um, which this is what I wanted to ask you before you were saying that you, you know, had these, you were sort of an alcoholic, lucky to survive until mm -hmm. you were 23 or so. But then it wasn't until recently that you found a way to actually process this trauma. So does that mean the last sort of 20 plus years you've been coping, but it's been sort of really gritting your teeth and just getting through? Is that what? Yeah. So there's times that are better and times that are worse. But this is what I was saying about when yeah. I was sober, you know, I probably... I probably would have ended up a suicide, to be honest, mm -hmm. if I hadn't seen these veterans suffering. Right. And there was a man, so I got sober in Los Angeles and I go to these, you know, mutual aid groups. And one of them that I went to every Friday night, it's called my home group, that I went to every Friday night was near the VA hospital in Los Angeles. And so large numbers of men and women from the veterans hospital would come over because they could walk over to this place on Friday nights. And so they're starting to come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And cause remember I, I got sober before nine 11, you know, I got sober a long time ago in the nineties. So um, they're starting to come back from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And there was, and they're not, they're not sober and it's breaking my heart, but there was one man he was a Marine, medically discharged. All he'd ever wanted to be in his life was a Marine. And at, I think he was 23. At 23, he's now disabled, walks with a cane, and cannot pursue his dream. He had, I think, three tours um, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and um suffered this terrible terrible uh injury to his to his leg and and he would not talk about the trauma that he in, endured because there was some i think one of his good friends was killed but he wouldn't talk about that but he would literally come to our meetings and shake like this i mean just and i'd be like are you okay and he's like i can't and the kind of therapy that was being used at that time keep in mind we're talking you know going on 20 years ago now 18 20 years ago was a type of therapy that revisits your where you the issues related to your trauma you know that's great if you were raped in a park planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And you have a child who wants to go play in the park and you have, um, you know, and you want to do that. That kind of therapy actually is pretty decent. It, it'll work. But if your best friend was blown up next to you, in Iraq and you're never going to see that friend again, you're no longer in the military and you're never going back to Iraq, reliving that doesn't actually desensitize you. It just, you just relive it over and over again and it's horrifying. And that's what this gentleman was saying. He's like, this therapy is terrible. Mm. And he killed himself. 23 years old, wife, infant, child. He killed himself. And that really was the catalyzing moment for me. I was like, listen, the, it doesn't matter to, from where I was sitting at that time. It didn't matter to me if I lived or died. Mm -hmm. But the fact that so many people were suffering, and in my opinion, we should have, could have, would have done better by Brian. Yeah. That is what really gave me the impetus to do something. Two things happened, though. Number one, someone invested in me. After I finished my graduate studies, a friend of mine who owned an addiction treatment center said, I want you to travel around the world on my dime, finding every complementary therapy that you think is useful, and we're going to bring that back and use it in our addiction treatment protocol. We wrote a book about it. It was a best, an Amazon number one bestseller. And I did that for years until he sold the facility. But again, remember what the, that American uh, mental health treatment and all healthcare is for profit. And so my job was discontinued because it's not recoupable to insurance. Yeah. Right? You can't make money of it. So that happened. I was invested in. And the second thing that happened for me is as I went around the world looking at all these therapies, I tried everything on myself because I, I, I look in particular for treatments that have few to no side effects. So one of the treatments I really like is narrative. Change your story, change your life. Because yeah. if you believe that you can't get sober, you can't. If you believe that you're going to die from whatever you're, you're gonna, right? I mean, so, so whatever you believe, if you believe now that doesn't mean that there aren't outside influences that play a role. I'm, I'm not pretending that's not true, mm-hmm. but a lot more internally is open to us than we think. Yeah. And so I try all these therapies out on myself because what have I got to lose? So with storytelling, I change my story. Who cares? Yeah. It either works or it doesn't. You know, I work with, uh, with music. I worked with an organization for uh, about three years called Rock to Recovery. We wrote a book about that. It just received a gold, that book just received a gold award um, in the nonfiction book awards from the Nonfiction Authors Association. Get it on Amazon. Oh, wow. Yeah. We looked at, we looked at, Music and using playing music and singing. Singing is really the most, to me, the most important part. 
And so what happens in a poor rock to recovery session? They didn't play. Someone decided not to play a song. They didn't want to participate. So they're leaving no worse off than they started. The song isn't good, right? It isn't a high quality song. Okay, well, that doesn't matter for therapeutics. Uh, you didn't finish the song. I mean, there's no downside. It's not like you 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 sing a song in a in a therapeutic music session and your head literally explodes. That's not how it ha what happens. You know, yeah. your legs don't fall off. Some therapeutics work better than others for some people. But that's what I'm really what I really look at. And if I can teach you, and this is what American you know, uh, medical systems don't like because they want to define addiction and trauma as chronic diseases that need to be managed and the pharmaceutical companies want them managed through medication. That is not necessary. We can basically put these into remission. I don't think I'm cured of alcoholism, but it's certainly in remission. And if you saw me, you would not think I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, is it there? If I drink alcohol, could I, could I stoke the fires again? You betcha. Cause I've never wanted to drink like a quote unquote normal person. I don't want just a beer when it's a hot day. I want all the beers so that I don't have to feel any feelings. Okay, that, that's what alcoholism really is. It's not necessarily just drinking too much. It's that I don't want to feel my feelings and alcohol fixes that for me. But if I train you and teach you how to meditate, how to use music, how to use story, how to connect in your community, because again, addiction and trauma are really problems of isolation right? The opposite of, of, of addicted isn't sober. It's connected. That's the curative is connection. If I can teach you those things, you can go off and live a wonderful life and you don't have to pay me anymore. Yeah. You can be and the prices that, yeah. And the prices that we charge, I, mm. I, I do free videos on TikTok. How do you, how to change your story? I don't need to get paid right. for that. I want you to have a better life. Period. So that's what we're talking about here is, is that these, um, these therapeutics are readily available. And once I saw that, even though I still had so many problems with trauma until I found the thing that worked for me and I think works for so many, then I was like, oh, wait a minute. This could really take off. Because I remembered back to being in Namibia and working with shamans and seeing what they did with their arrows, comes with the, the San, the Bushman of the Kalahari. And uh, I was like, wait a minute, this is somatics. Mm -hmm. They just put a culturally appropriate face on it. I was like, this is all, wait a minute, hold on. And that's what, that's what I get to, I get the privilege of doing. So I don't look at it as, oh, I should have, could have, you know, died. Yeah, yep. that could have been the outcome. But because I have had recovery, real recovery, not only from addiction, but also from trauma, like I'm on fire to help other people, especially people who don't have access to care.
it should not be a fluke that I get to recover and XYZ person doesn't. Ridiculous. Yeah. Unacceptable. It, it is unacceptable. And, and there's so many levels to this, like what you're saying. Like, I mean, if the job's done properly and we actually did help people to become self-sustainable and recover, um, that's horrible for the pharmaceutical industry. It's horrible for, you know, so much of these, you know, for-profit um, companies that are out there that are actually preying on people um, being reactive rather than preventative. Uh, so there's just so many levels to it. So it's, um, it's a political issue as well, isn't it? Well, it's a very political issue. And, and I, was, I was so fortunate to work for the treatment facility that I did because when I was, when I was working there, it wasn't insurance-based. Yeah. So we treated to outcomes. In, in the U.S., in insurance-based companies, you where, you know, your insurance will kick you out after detox because they want you to go to a lower level, read that as less expensive, level of care. And if you, quote, unquote, fail out, which in addiction usually means a relapse, yeah. then you can go back up for a limited time to the higher level of care. I was in... Um, Slovenia a few years ago and I was speaking at an I was there for a conference but I knew some uh people who ran an addiction treatment facility there so they asked me to come to the addiction treatment facility and the the patients there were stunned they said well how long do you get to stay in treatment in in the U.S. I was like I don't know 10 days 15 and then you have to go to outpatient or, or partial hospitalization with sober living and they were perplexed and I was like, well, how long do you get to stay and treat me here? And they're like, till the doctor says we're ready to go. Yeah. Treating to outcomes. And the other thing that I have learned in this is that I can't help everyone, but I can open the door. Mm -hmm. So I was in uh, Cape Town, South Africa a little bit north of the city at a hospital. And obviously I'm white. There was one other uh, white person, a, a psychiatrist at this facility. It was a psychiatric facility. And I was there to give a presentation. And I mean, they brought everyone in the hospital out to hear me, you know, and uh, every other face in the room was black. And that's important in a moment. And I gave my presentation on best practices in mental health care. And I talked about psychotherapy and I talked about complementary therapies and I talked about all the things. And they gave me a wonderful round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, doctor, for coming from the United States to give us all this information. And the one white doctor at the end raised his hand. There was a question and answer period, raised his hand. And he said, and I don't think this is, you know, not that long after the end of apartheid. And he said, that's wonderful information. Thank you so much, doctor. But we have four psychotherapists in this region and none in the region to the north that we also serve. These are like places that are the size of small states. They have four psychotherapists in this region and none in the region to the north. And inside, I'm listening, right? And inside, I'm like, like someone punched me. I'm yeah. like, you fool. 
you have just given them a whole bunch of useless information that they cannot use. They can't access it. Yeah. They have they have nothing. They have nothing. And even if we brought in a whole bunch of psychotherapists and trained them up and all the things and they spoke the native language, those people aren't accustomed mm -hmm. to talk therapy. It's not going to work for them. Yeah. So he said, what do you, what do you think we should do? So I had that half a second of you're an idiot, right? That half a second of self-judgment. And then I remembered being in Namibia with the, the, the Bushmen of the Kalahari and with the sun. And I said, do you ever work with traditional healers? Everybody's body, literally the whole body language of the room perked up and they leaned forward. And we had the most amazing conversation about, okay, if this is the scientific information, how do we glean that and use it in a culturally appropriate way, right? Just like I said, you know, I realized that the, that the Bushmen, the, the traditional healers there are using somatics. They don't call it somatics. They don't need to call it somatics. It doesn't matter what we, what we call it in the West. We know that this works. And when you come at it through that sort of side door, what we find is that there are a whole, there's a whole bunch of scientific information that validates a lot of traditional healing practices. And if we can connect the two, it gives us, the ones who hold the power, a lot of opportunity to say, no, actually these traditional, whether they're Aboriginal, you know, uh, Torres Strait, uh, 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 yeah. Islanders, like, you know, uh, uh, First Nations in Canada. It doesn't matter. We can connect the science with the traditional practice and form a basis for justifying, let them do these things. And maybe we give a little bit more information to them so that they can have more information and tweak it so that it's culturally appropriate. So, for example, I never did worked with rock to recovery with native american groups because they have a wonderful wonderful deeply rich history of using music as a healing tool mm. they already have the information shut my mouth yeah. i don't need to do anything yeah they don't need to write rock songs rap songs they have a wonderful tradition keep quiet doctor yeah. you don't know everything <laughs> yeah it's fascinating it's so fascinating uh well look we've, we've probably I, I i would love to almost do a part two of this with you because this is like this is fascinating there's so many things to delve into i i mean your story alone there's you know a huge amount of things to talk thank about thank you um, I know we sort of don't have a huge amount of time today, but um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of that. We we finish every episode with five sort of key questions. Sure. Uh, so I might, and these can be quick fire, whatever comes to mind. Um, yeah, yeah. But I really, w really would love to sort of do a, another interview with you down the track because um, anytime you like. Things, yeah, it's just um, so interesting your whole story. And I'm coming to Melbourne for my birthday. So my birthday's in September. So if you want to meet face to face, happy to do that too. There we go. We can, yeah, exactly. We can do it face to face in Melbourne. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so the first of these questions, you know, uh, the first one is, um, what is, I mean, obviously you've talked about the trauma you went through as a child. So this one's, what's your best childhood memory, which, um, my best childhood memory is I had a horse named, Sint excuse me, Santana, and she was not a fancy horse and we didn't have a ton of money, but I showed her in 4-H, which is a youth program here in the U.S. And we won the intermediate showmanship class at our county fair. And we got to take that victory lap. And I loved that horse. She was just, she was just my pride and joy. She lived for 33 years. I got her when she was just under two years old. And wow. so I, that, but that's my proudest moment. And I remember my, um, you know, uh, my mom and, and her, and my, you know, closest friend's mom, like screaming their heads off. My friend's mom, you couldn't hear anything but her screaming her head off when we won that. That's my best memory. Was that companionship, that connection to that horse. I love that. I love that. Um, what the second one, what, what do you think is currently the biggest burden on mental health in society? At least here, it's, it's lack of access. You know, mm. stigma is its own problem. Yep. But if, if we had more access to mental, to quality, appropriate mental health care for a variety of people that treated to outcomes, we'd do a lot to stigma. Because people would show up. My understanding of addiction yeah. is if we had more beds, more people would go to addiction treatment. Mm -hmm. And the stigma would just go away because now you everybody knows somebody who's been to therapy or went to addiction treatment or whatever. It's not the problem. Stigma is not the problem anymore. It's access, access, access to appropriate care. Not what the pharmaceutical companies want to give us because they'll make a buck. But these really good complementary practices that just improve your life. You don't have to have terrible trauma to benefit from singing. Right? There are good mental health practices out there and we need access to them. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what, what, what's your personal definition of happiness? That's a really good question. I don't know that I have a great answer. Um, I've always, because of the kind of trauma that I come from, mm. my bar is low. I'm shooting for absence of pain. Yeah. I just don't yeah. want to hurt. I just don't want to be terrified. And so I don't know that, I, I mean, sounds like a bummer because I should be like the mental health guru or something, but I don't know that I have a, an answer where I'm, I think experientially where I'm closest to happy is when I wake up in the morning and the cat and the dog are snuggled in bed and it's, you know, that early morning, it's warm under the covers feeling yeah, I think I, I don't know that anything in my day quite reaches that is that that feeling, I guess, for me, because of the trauma, happiness is safety. 
I feel okay. safe. I feel secure. And I feel connected in those moments. So to me, that's happiness. I like that. And, you know, the simple things are the, the important things as well, like what you talked about there, those, you know, simple comforting things. But yet, you know, interesting answer. It makes a lot of sense based on, you know, your story and what you've told us today. So um, final, final two, uh, what are you most afraid of? I am most afraid that for some reason I'll, I'll die before my work is done. I have books to write. I have people to help. I have people to teach. I love teaching people who become professionals, whether they're um, researchers or uh, uh, clinicians or run um, uh, uh, nonprofit agencies, non-governmental organizations. I, I just love being in connection with those people because I, I, I can't stand the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so my fear is is that I'll, I'll I'll die before all the books are out of me. I'll I'll die before all the people that I could help. I, I can't help everyone, right? But that I'll that that my work won't be finished. So I try not to get you know hit by buses or you know punched by <laughs> kangaroos. Yeah, exactly. Once you yeah, that that might be a new problem for you once you get get to Australia. Avoid get being punched by kangaroos. But no, that's beautiful. Like I think, I mean, it's it's amazing. Like. I think there's nothing more incredible than having, you know, a, a purpose and a level of passion like what you're talking about, because I think that's what life's about. We're here to really try and, you know, find what it is. We all have something to give and work out how do we do that. And and I think, you know, as you touched on earlier as well, a lot of the process, it's sort of often the, you know, we wouldn't go through the pain again or we would, you know, we wouldn't choose anyone to go through it. But one thing does inform the other a lot of the time, you know, so it's sort of, it's all this weird sort of thing of life. And, you know, it's, it's, well. it's so true because like, like I was saying, like, you know, if I had gotten, if I had gotten sober and, and tr gotten great trauma treatment at 25 rather than at 45, how would that have changed my life? Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm really satisfied with this, amazing opportunity to travel all around the world learning from all these incredible people and then being able to connect those people i i started an international consortium you know a, a research institute for uh complementary and indigenous mental health practices it's on my website and and it's my privilege to be able to bring these people from all over the world together to say, how can we serve more people? How can we help more people? Oh, it's, it's, yeah, I love it. Um, so final one, uh, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of my books because all the mental health research aside, I'm a writer, I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. And writing is my passion, it's my joy, and it's a way to disseminate information. Like, I don't write for academic journals, ever, because mm -hmm. nobody reads it except three other academics who aren't necessarily in a position to disseminate that information to the public who's really, who needs it. 
Yeah. I mean, it's great for point. it's great for scoring at universities and you can, you know, advance and become a mucky the muck professor. I write popular press books for a reason because that gives this information to people who can use it. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. That's why I'm yeah, that's why I'm afraid to die with a book still in me. Don't die with a book in you. If you're a writer, write. If you're a painter, paint. Doesn't matter if it's perfect. Get it out there. If you've got stuff inside you, it's so true. And it's yeah, I guess I'm in a similar field and sort of with my acting and I'm producing a show at the moment that touches on mental health and um, you feel these things inside you and you like sort of you have to get it out. You have to put it out into the world or you'll, you know, you'll go mad or you just know that's inside you but no I think it's in, incredible but I did my first book a year and a half ago and it was a lot harder than I thought more rewarding as well so I've got so much respect for writers now and I had the, <laughs> the publishing company gave me like an editor that was working with me and you know it's not an easy thing so I have huge amount of respect for you know what you've done <laughs> with with all of that as well everything I mean it's it's amazing so Thank you so much for making the time to talk about this. And I found it fascinating and would love to, to stay in touch and um, see if we can work together in the future as well. I would love to. Really appreciate it. For all of our listeners, I'll put this in the show notes as well with links, but where, where can they go to, to learn more about you? So I have a website. It's constanceshark.com. I am on... Uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and something else. <laughs> I've forgotten. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Dr. Sharf. And I'm on Twitter at ConSharfPhD. So I'm available on all the socials you can find me um, or go to my website for, for more information. I also have um, a blog uh, on Psychology Today and I write articles for them every month. So uh, you can find me Amazing. there as well. Great. Well, and we'll put all the links there. So anyone listening, uh, you, you don't have to go and, you know, randomly look it all up. We'll have it all there that you can just click, boom, go to all the links. And um, yeah, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks to Constant Sharp for joining me today for Movie Mind. And just a reminder that the Movie Mind book is now available globally. You can find all the links at nickbrax.com. And the Movie Mind community program is also available at moviemind.me. Thanks again for listening, and I can't wait to share more episodes with you. Appreciate you following us. If you can give us a like, share the podcast with your friends. It would mean the world to us. We love having you as an audience. We are trying to grow this show. We appreciate every bit of feedback and support we get. So once again... Thanks to everyone for listening, and I look forward to speaking to you all soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.